Good morning, Point Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing good? Well, my name is Todd Mullins. I am on staff here at the Point Church, and we are in a series called Rescued. And uh, I know uh, all of us need rescued, especially in our basketball brackets. Um, yeah, so yeah, the first Thursday, Friday was hard for me. I lost Purdue. I lost Arizona. I lost all kinds of people. So I'm still watching the games. There's really no vested interest. So we all need rescued. So yeah, this series rescued is something that's just been crazy and amazing to get into the word of God and to hear where we're at and what we're doing in the series. And I started thinking that, yeah, we all do need rescued. There are times in our life when we need rescued and there are times in our lives when we need to help someone be rescued. And, and the first thought I had, and, and I can tell the story because the three guys that were with me when this happened are not here, so I can, I can do this, and I don't believe anybody from my work is here today, so I can, I'm not have to worry about hearing it come back on me. So about seven years ago, I was invited to do my first ever Tough Mudder. Uh, there was a gentleman who had a ticket, and he couldn't use it, and so I used it. I was in, my body was in much better shape seven years ago. It was a lot less of me. And so we went up to Michigan and at the MIS Speedway, and we went ahead and did a Tough Mudder. It was early in the morning. It was great. We did all these obstacles, got wet, got, uh, got shocked, got you know, blacked out, and woke back up. It was just crazy. It was fun. My wife was yelling at me for doing all that. But it was a great time. I, would, I did it, loved it so much that two years later, the same group of guys said, hey, we're going to go to Kentucky and do a Tough mutter. Do you want to go? I said, hey, heck yeah, I'm in. I mean, of course, my body was a little more towards this than what it was. But I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I, I should be able to make that. And so, but everywhere in Kentucky is uphill. And so every, I don't remember one time going downhill. So I, I, go, I go up and I go up and I finally go over this ledge and I'm just exhausted. My group's waiting on me this time. The, the first time in Michigan, they were kind of, I was kind of leading the way I was waiting on them. But this one, they were waiting on me. So I come up over the hill and it looks like a, a scene from The Walking Dead. There's just thousands of people just kind of trudging like this into waist-high, deep water, mud, stuff going into these six tubes and they were just like cylindrical, very tight, a little bit wider than me. And they went up about what I thought would to be about 20 feet, two stories. Of course, I went back and looked and it wasn't, but it seemed like that to me. And reality is perception in my life. So I go up over the hill and I see these six tubes and I see people getting into them and I see a sign that says snot rocket. I'm like, what in the world is this? And so there's this fire hoses that are at the top just shooting water down. And, you, and so you can't look up and see where you're at. There's these little footholds and handholds for you to climb to get up to the top. Well, if you've noticed, my eyes are a little bit larger than normal, and they stick out. So I need goggles or a hat or something to keep the water off of my eyes so I can see. Well, I've since took those on this trip knowing I needed them, but I lost them. So I couldn't look up and see what was going on. So I climbed to the top. It's my turn. I get into the tube, and I'm going pretty well, pretty well, pretty well. And I get up towards the top, and they precariously place the last hole somewhere just out of reach where you just got to stretch. And I couldn't quite get there. My shoulders were starting to burn. I just had shoulder surgery on this one a couple years ago, and this one still needs it today. And so on my weight, and I'm, I'm holding on. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I can't find that last hole. I see people starting to climb up the steps and come into the tube. So I'm going to fall, and I'm going to hurt somebody. And I don't want to do that. So I start to panic. I start to scream and freak out. I'm screaming at nothing against women, but I do a high-pitched screech. Ah! And I'm just like, hey, someone help. So, and I'm I didn't care who heard me. Someone help. Someone help. I'm, I'm going to fall. You better watch out. I'm going to kill you. It just, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. And finally, someone says, give me your hand. I'll guide you to the hole. So I gave him my hand, and they guided me to the hole, and I, I worked my way out of it. And then I got out, and I didn't see who it was that helped save me. 
And I, and I saw my team sitting up on a hill, because it's Kentucky, everything's uphill. And they're sitting there waiting on me. And I said, hey, where, what happened to that person who helped me out of the hood? They said, what took you so long? So then, of course, I had to tell them. And then they laughed at me. And then I came here to church. And they started laughing. And so it was the whole thing. But they, they didn't know who it was. But I, I was rescued. I was rescued by what I believe was an angel. God sent my way. I was freaking out. But someone had saved me. I was rescued. And I was so happy that they humbled themselves to put my needs above theirs. I needed rescued. I got a call from a friend a couple weeks ago, and I was working on this talk, and uh, it was a Sunday night, and he said, hey, I'm out of state. My family needs help. Can you help on this day? There's only one day that this can happen in these many hours. Can you do it? And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm supposed to work on this talk. I said, you know what? Yes. God's got his word. He'll use me the way he needs me, but yes, I will go help what needs to happen. And we had friends come together and we helped someone who needed rescued. God used us to rescue. It happens to all of us. We need, need to be rescued and also we need to help rescue others. We need to humble ourselves both ways to rescue or be rescued. And so this series rescued really hit home to me because we all need it. And Noah did a great job of opening up a couple weeks ago, and he said that Jesus laid down his life and laid in a manger for us. He laid in a manger for us. He, Jesus, was everywhere. He was before time, after time. He is everywhere. He can do whatever he wants. And yet he put himself in the confines of a calendar for us. He came down in the confines of a calendar, and he was regulated by time as fully God, fully man, to be regulated by a calendar. And he also came down and put himself in a bondage of a body. Now, I don't like tight things. There was a, a, a time when I did have my shoulder surgery, and they strapped me down to the MRI board, and they put me into this machine. I couldn't move. I didn't have an issue with tight spaces before. It was okay. But when I did this, when they did this, I now have this common fear of just tight spaces. If I begin to think of me in a coffin with six feet of dirt on me, and I wake up in a coffin, I start to freak out. I start to breathe heavy. My heart starts to go crazy because I start to think about how can I be in this little confined area? And then if I just start to have a cold, a head cold, and I can't breathe much, I need to stop sometimes and say, take a deep breath. Because I'll start to think about how I can't breathe. And yet here was Jesus Christ who put himself into the bondage of a body who was everywhere, who couldn't be everywhere, but he put himself in the bondage of a body and the confines of a calendar for you and I to rescue us. That's what Jesus did. And then Caleb last week talked about the storms in our lives, that Jesus was lying in the belly of a boat and he woke up and he calmed the storms. He will take our storms and he will calm those storms. And today we get to hear about something we've read about so many times, the Last Supper. We get to find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's this pattern that they do. In those three books, there's the preparation, there is the eating, there is the calling out of the betrayal, then there is communion. Matthew, Mark, and Luke follow this pattern. But then John does something. He takes, into, it takes us into an intimate moment during that meal, which we'll jump into. In fact, if you want to open up your Bibles, your message notes, and don't get thrown off by the message notes. So it looks like there's, we're going to read the whole Bible. We'll be here till noon. We will not be. We'll get through there. Don't you worry. You know how fast I talk. So we open up in Matthew 26. You can open up your Bibles, message notes, your smartphones. And it says, on the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? They have no idea that what they're preparing is the last time they're going to have Jesus there. They're just hours away 
from Christ being on a cross. The preparation. Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about this preparation. It says, he replied, go into the city into a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. They have no idea what that means. Three years, three years culminating into this. They have no idea what he just said. My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now they're going to eat. They're going to follow this pattern. Preparation, eat, betrayal, communion. Preparation, eat, betrayal, communion. They're now at the eating stage. It says, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Circle the word, Lord. Lord, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, then Judas, the one who would betray him said, surely you don't mean me. Rabbi, circle rabbi. Here's the disciples. Jesus says, one of you, one of you is going to betray me. And they all say, oh, certainly not I, Lord. And I know, they know that it's not them. James and John know that it's not them. They know that it's not them. When they say certainly not I, Lord, they mean it because I have a twin brother. And when we got in trouble, one of us did something. The other one didn't. But we'd all say the same thing. Certainly not I. I didn't do it. And when I got in trouble for what my brother did, I knew I didn't do it. I would say, Mom, I didn't do it. And then he would say, Mom, I didn't do it. I'm like, yes, you did. It's just two of us. I know I didn't do it. I know you did it. But he would say, no, I didn't do it. And the disciples knew that it wasn't them. They said, it was not me. It's not me, Lord. And there is Judas. Certainly not I. I'm not going to be the one teacher. I'm not going to be the one rabbi. I'm not the one, Mom. I didn't do it. But the disciples knew they didn't do it. They knew that it wasn't them, but somebody was going to do it. And after Judas says, surely you don't mean me, rabbi, Jesus answered, you have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Not just some of you, all of you, even the one who's going to betray me, take this, drink this. This is my body. This is my blood poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins, not just some. Jesus did not come to save some. He came to save all, all, not some. Not just you and I that have called Christ our Lord and leader. Those that you hate, Jesus came to save. And when they find out that Judas is the one that's going to betray him, I am sure that they are going to hate Judas for betraying Jesus when they see what happens to him. But yet Jesus died for many. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. Judas, drink of this. One of you will betray me. Certainly not I, teacher. 
Not I, Lord. All of you drink of it. All of you drink this. All of you, this is my buddy for all of you. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there is a preparation that they have no idea that they're preparing for the last time. There's a meal. There's a togetherness. There's a calling out of the betrayal, and then there is communion. And John, John takes us into an intimate moment of that meal. It says in verse 17, so the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared to pass over. Verse 20 says, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, while they were eating, now we get into John. John 13, 1 through 17. While they were eating, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go into the Father. Man, what pain Jesus must have felt. He knew what was coming. He knew the hour had come, and yet he still did what he had to do. He knew there was going to be torture. He knew there was going to be pain, and yet he did what he was going to do for you and I. And it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loves you and I to the end. Even though we are of this world, just like his disciples and Judas were of this world, we are of this world and he loves us to the end. He loves us to the end. He's obedient to the cross to the end. He loves us to the end. He loves you and I with all our faults, with all our failures. He loves us to the end. How comforting is that? Come Easter time, he died, he rose for you. To the very end, he loves us to the very end. Now it says the evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And I love verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. Verse 3 is the culmination of our rescued series. It says right here, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Caleb talked about that last week. All things under Christ's power. Everything God said, it's under your control. And he wakes up and he calms the storm. And the disciples are like, whoa, who is this guy? He just calmed even the storms and the wind. Listen to this guy. And they realized everything was under his power. And then it says, and that he had come from God. Noah talked about that two weeks ago. He'd come from God. He laid in a manger for you and I. As a baby, he was born to identify with us to the confines of a counter, to the bondage of a body. He came from God. And then it says, and he was returning to God. Next week, Steve Case, who's on our board, will be teaching about him returning to God. This series is summed up in verses 3, and now we're talking today about verse 4. It says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. He's about to wash feet. But there's just so much involved. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing. I want to stop right there. He laid down his clothes. He took off his outer clothing. He got into the clothing of the lowest slave just to have a garment on and put a towel around his waist. He was the lowliest of slaves. That was their job to wash the feet of those that had come in from that day to have a meal. They were to wash the feet. And Jesus said, I will be that lowliest slave. 
I will wash your feet. And he wraps the towel around his waist. He's showing the disciples his body. They have no idea that that same body, hours later, is going to be beaten, bruised, battered, and bloodied for them. And it is for us. And he's showing us as we read this. It says he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. We can imagine his body perfect. Perfect body. We see it. And we know what's going to happen. We see Jesus' perfect body. He's giving them a glimpse of what his body looks like because it's going to look a lot different in ours. A lot different for them. Certainly not I, Lord. Certainly not I. I'm not the one to betray you. Here's my body for all of you to see. Judas, this is the body that you have betrayed. Guys, this is the body that you've been with for three years. You are going to see it just with a towel around my waist. And what's he do? It says, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Wow. When I read that, God opened my eyes to that sentence for the first time ever. Christ has a towel around his waist and he dries their feet with this dirty water and the stuff that's on their feet, the fecal matter, the urine from animals in the street that they walked in all day. They go to a house and Jesus wipes their feet clean with his towel, their filth, our filth, our sinner on the towel that Jesus Christ has around his waist that we do. The stuff that we go on in our life is on his towel that he wiped off, that he just cleaned our feet. The dirt that was on that towel is our dirt, our filth. And he washes the feet of his disciples. So as he began to wash his feet, disciples drying them with that towel that was wrapped around him. Dirty towel, stuff in their toes. The filth of the world is on that towel. And yet he has his body showing them the body and the filth that's on that body that he carried for us on that cross. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Simon Peter was there watching him wash feet. He finally got to Simon Peter and he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm going to do, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. That's the arrogance of Simon Peter, the arrogance of me. Christ, you're, I'm never going to let you wash my feet, Christ. You are too worthy. You are, and I'm saying that because that's my pride. That's because I would say my Savior would not do that. That's me putting myself above God. When I say, no, you will not wash my feet. Simon Peter said, no, you will not wash my feet. I want to have my Savior be a servant. But yet Christ says, I am a servant. I just served you. I became the lowliest slave and I served you and I washed your feet and I have your dirt and your filth on my towel. I gladly did it. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless you, Peter, humble yourself to allow me to wash your feet, to allow me to rescue you, you have no part of me. Todd, unless you humble yourself to allow me to be your servant, to allow me to die on the cross for you, you will never have a part of me. Insert name. If you don't do this, if you don't allow Christ to do this, to wash your feet, you will never be a part of him. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. Though not every one of you. I think when he said that, he looked at Simon, Judas. 
He probably had, I, I can imagine, he just washed Judas's feet. And he goes to Simon, has that conversation, washes the Simon feet. And he says, but not all of you, not every one of you. And he looks at Judas. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not every one of you is clean. So verse 12 says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He returned to his place to go ahead with the rest of the meal. To have Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, sit there with him, who he just washed his feet, who later he'll do communion with and for. He says, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. And as he said teacher, he looked at Judas. You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The Last Supper. We've read this story how many times? And there's so much there. And there are three questions that we can ask ourselves. The first of which, do you call Jesus Lord or teacher? Remember back in Matthew, there was this pattern, preparation, meal, calling of the betrayal, communion. Preparation, meal, calling of the betrayal, communion. And he says... They were very sad and began to ask him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord, you don't mean me, Lord. Certainly not I. John says, Certainly not I, Lord. James and John, Certainly not I, Peter. Certainly not I. Certainly not I, Lord. The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, one who betrayed him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Do you call Jesus Lord or teacher? Second question. Would you allow Jesus to wash your feet? Remember John 13, verse 7. Do you not realize now that I am what I am doing, but later you will understand? No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, and catch this, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Do you call Jesus Lord or teacher? And would you allow Jesus to wash your feet? Would you allow Jesus to wipe off the filth of your life, to, to, to take the sin of your life and just have it on his towel as he represents his perfect body for you and I on a cross? Would you allow him to wash your feet? Would you humble yourself to allow him to wash your feet? Do you call him Lord or teacher? And would you allow him to wash your feet? The third question we'll get to after the song. Now, as we prepare to take communion, if you don't have your elements, if you'd like some elements, just raise your hand. Because Jesus did this for everyone. Judas, the betrayer, was part of this. So do you call Jesus Lord or teacher? Would you allow Jesus to wash your feet? And the third question, would you allow Jesus to rescue you? As we take communion, ponder that thought. 
It says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Jesus, thank you for revealing your body to the disciples as you took off your outer clothing. You laid them down to put a towel around your waist to show them your body that would be on a cross for them, for us. You were so obedient to that, and thank you for your bodies. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, thank you for your blood, for the new covenant that cleanses us, that your Father sees us as you when we invite you in. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for giving it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So would you allow Jesus to rescue you? You know, normally I would uh, close, have you guys close your eyes and bow your heads and we do a prayer. But there's not a prayer that saves you. It's a heart change. It's inviting Christ into your heart to say, God, I want Jesus as my Lord and leader. There's no prayer. There's no act of anything that you can do. If someone asks you about your salvation, you say how it started. If you start off the sentence with I, you've already lost it. It's about Jesus and what he did on the cross. And would you allow Jesus to rescue you? Would you say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and leader. Let that be today. Let your eternity start today. You can do that right now while I'm talking. My words are nothing. Your words to Jesus are everything. When you invite him in, would you allow him to rescue you? Do you call him Lord or teacher? Would you allow him to wash your feet? And would you allow him to rescue you? Let today be that day he rescues you, that you call on his name to be your savior. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your words, Father. Thank you for revealing your words to me. And thank you for using me. I'm not worthy. I betray you every single day with my thoughts, with my actions, with my sins, the worldliness of me. My flesh betrays you. And yet you, you have me remember your body. You have me remember your blood and the new covenant. And I thank you that I'm reminded about who you are and what you've done for me. I call you Lord, Father. I call you Lord. Jesus, thank you for being obedient. Thank you for creating a way to get to the Father. It's in Jesus' mighty, powerful, and effective name that we pray. Amen. If today is the day you started a relationship with Jesus Christ, please let us know. We want to celebrate with you. Today marks the day that your eternity starts. Thank you. Josh.